Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you can make it. Any questions I ask myself. What's up, table fam? How are we feeling today? Yeah. Hey, we have not had a chance to meet you. My name is Isaac. I'm the pastor here at the table and part of the leadership team here. And man, we're just so excited um, that you're here today. Um, you see a lot of people in black shirts. Um, I don't have this on my shirt, but other people will have on their shirts, Banquet for the Broken. And the reason we have that is because we know that, man, we're all coming from lots of different places. Some of us had an amazing day at work today. Some of us had a terrible day. Um, some of us have really amazing family. Some of us just have a lot of mess we're trying to deal with and navigate. And we know that the thing that unifies us, if we can be honest, is that we're broken, right? And we know that in our brokenness, there's only one solution, and his name is Jesus Christ. So every week, we just want to say, hey, this is a place where you can just be honest that you're not doing okay, and if you are doing okay, awesome, but a lot of us just have a lot of life to process, and we just want to say, hey, welcome, and every week, we're just going to be honest with where we are exactly as we are. We don't have to be perfect. If you say you're perfect, you're lying. We know you're lying, and we're just waiting for you to admit it, um, but welcome to the table. Uh, tonight, we've been going through the Gospel of John, and tonight, we actually have an amazing treat because we have our very good friend, Alec Brickell, uh, that's going to come up. So uh, my when I first heard of Alec, so if you, some of us know Alec really well. Some of us have never met Alec. Um, four years ago, I had never met Alec before, and I had heard these stories of Alec. And, I'm, and people are talking about him like he's like the greatest thing ever and so kind, but like one of the smartest people you'll ever meet and just really wise. I'm like, man, they're really hyping this guy up. Um, so I'm at an Orlando City soccer game, and Alec ends up sitting next to me, and we talk the entire game for two hours straight. I don't even know who won. I think Orlando City may have lost that game. But in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, they were right. This guy's incredible. Like he's just so wise and so sharp. And, and then I got to work with him for two years. He served on our young adult team here. And every a lot of the things that you like about the table, Alec helped pioneer. So a lot of the graphics and a lot of the things here served really well in the, in the production booth during his season. And recently in the last year has transitioned to another team at First Orlando, part of the discipleship team, which is very fitting because Alec is incredibly good um, at discipleship. But he's been coming to the table and we are just so excited to have him here tonight to speak to us from the Gospel of John. So man, can y'all give it up for Alec? Hey guys. Good evening. Thanks Isaac for that, um, for that warm welcome, bro. None of that's true. I'm actually a horrible person. No, I'm kidding. But, but the truth is I'm, bro I'm broken um, just like you. Um, and that's what unites us here. And I am, just feel so lucky to be part of this community of faith alongside you guys. Tonight, um, if we haven't met, like Isaac said, I want to give you a little bit of introduction to who I am, a couple things you need to know about me. First thing I want you to know about me is that I'm married to the gorgeous and goofy Victoria Brockhell. I think we have a picture of me. I love, I love Tor. We're celebrating four years of marriage next month. Always have to give her a shout out. Another thing you should know about me is that um, my name is Alec Brockhell. You may not know me, but you may know another Brockhell, Sophie, who runs around as part of the leadership here at the table. You guys might know a smart, sophisticated, wise young woman. That's not who I think of when I think of Sophie. This is who I think of when I think of Sophie. That's my baby sister, Sophie. I love her dearly. Another thing you should know about me, Isaac kind of already said this, 
Um, I'm just part of the, the community here at the table now. I, I'm not part of the leadership anymore. But back in the day, for five years, I served here on the staff team. There's a picture to prove it, I think. Um, in the middle, you'll see Britt Nelson, um, our lovely Britt. This is like the first week of being an intern here um, before it was even the table in the early days. I remember giving birth to the table, like sitting there waiting for this ministry. So I've been here, I've been here for a long time, and I'd love to see what the Lord has been doing over the past five years in Orlando. Last thing I want you guys to know about me before we get started with our conversation here is that I love two distinct things. Um, trashy action movies and academic journals. Um, I know, I know, right? It's so, it's so wrong because they're like never related in any kind of way, except recently I was watching a movie on Amazon Prime. I have a, a poster here. Have you guys seen this movie? Without remorse? Some of us? Some of us know? Okay, there's like disproportionately more bros raising their hands than girls, of course. Um, I actually loved this movie when I was watching it. My wife um, loved it too. I wonder why. Um, <laughs> Uh, regardless, moving on from that, though, I, I love this movie because when I watch this movie, I won't spoil the plot for you because it really is good, but I'll give you kind of the, the premise, right? Um, Michael B. Jordan's character is this bad-to-the-bone elite Navy SEAL, right? And the enemy comes into his house in the middle of the night and inflicts great pain on him and his family. And this happens like the first five minutes of the movie. And literally the entire two-hour movie is Michael B. Jordan just like seeking fire and retribution for the sins of his enemies. And I've got to admit, like the really bad parts of Alex Hart, like the bro-y part of Alex Hart, like love the entire time. Michael B. Jordan just breaking bad the entire time. It was awesome. Now what does this have to do with academic journals, you might ask? Well... Uh, recently, I was reading, well, I, someone shared this academic article with me. Um, it's by some psychologists at the University, uh, Emory, Emory University and the University of Melbourne. And this article is basically um, an exposition on this um, German word. Now, side note, if you don't know anything about the German language, Germans have words to describe things that Americans don't even know exist. Okay, like the German language is beautiful and complex. And one of these intricate German words is the word Schadenfreude, okay? Schadenfreude, okay, I got a, a clap from the front. Some of you might know what this is. Now, what does this have to do with, what does this have to do with Without Remorse, an action movie on Amazon Prime? Well, Schadenfreude, the, the psychologists basically just, uh, define it this way, and you, you'll see when I'm getting it, I think. The distinctive pleasure, now that's my definition, I'll get to that in a second. What the psychologists say is the distinctive pleasure felt due to others' misfortune. I'll say that again. These psychologists define this term as the distinctive pleasure we feel due to other people's misfortune. Now, the way I, I try to think about this, it's when we inflict pain to dull our own hurt. Okay? The entire movie of Without Remorse is all about schadenfreude. It's about inflicting pain. When you can't achieve justice, at least you can inflict pain, and that makes things a little bit better, right? Now, even if you don't like trashy action movies, I think you can relate a little bit to what I'm saying, because no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, I would wager tonight that we in this room have all been hurt. We have all been hurt. Maybe for you, it was a friend that you trusted deeply, 
that gossiped about you and you don't know why? Maybe it was a boss who was incredibly kind to you through all seven rounds of interviews and now just exploits you on the daily and you can't figure out why. Maybe it was a pastor who you sought leadership from who broke your trust or your community of faith's trust. Maybe it was a significant other who abused you, a parent who abandoned you, or maybe it was an authority, a good guy, someone we're supposed to trust, kneeling on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds until he died on the pavement. And we all saw it. We've all experienced deep hurt in our lives. There's no way around it. You and me, pain is the reality of our lives, guys. I know it's a little ominous for a Tuesday night, but it's true. And we got to start off with this premise. And as we address pain being the reality of our lives, I think as we study tonight and we have this conversation, it leads us to this question. How, my friends, can we live in the face of such great pain? If we're going to organize our lives properly, we can't just like plan our lives out, you know, for all the good times, right? Because pain eventually is going to come and ruin things. Or as Mike Tyson put it, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth, right? It's the pain that makes us human. So how do we live in the face of such great pain? Well, if you will, pull out your Bibles, your phone apps. Let's go to John chapter 18, next chapter in our study. And what we're going to witness in this text, guys, is an immense amount of pain. You'll see that clearly. But more importantly, I think what we're going to notice is two distinct ways of addressing that pain. John chapter 18, verse 1. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with the disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, and he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with the lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to him, uh, said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the, world, the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have, not, I have lost not one. Okay, key verse here, verse 10. Then Simon Peter, I love Simon Peter. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. His right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. And then what a startling phrase this is. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Okay, let me explain a little bit of the context of what's going on here. What had just happened before chapter 18 is Jesus had what theologians call, he had conducted what theologians call the high priestly prayer. He's basically giving this incredible priestly prayer over his disciples, commissioning them, asking that the Lord would be with them. And then after he gives this, you know, 
this deeply emotional, spiritual moment with his disciples, they go, the text tells us, to a place where they had often gone, right? To this garden that Judas knew, all the disciples knew. They had gone there often to pray, to hang out. So picture this. This is not, hey, let's go to the town square, the center of town. Let's go to the middle of battle. No, they're going to a safe, familiar place with safe, familiar people. A place that they should be safe at. And in the midst of this, they're assaulted by this unexpected attack on their, on their master, on their rabbi, right? Now, <laughs> I totally get what Peter has going on here. Now, maybe I wouldn't have grabbed the sword and swung it at someone's ear, but the anger makes sense, right? And you, know, you might even go, oh, man, maybe that was a little bit of self-defense. What if they were actually coming at them with spears? Okay, maybe, maybe not. Um, certainly you might go, well, was it justifiable? Like, Jesus was innocent. They were trying to take him innocently. Like, was he somewhat justifiable, what Peter did? Okay, maybe, maybe not. What we do know for certain is Peter is furious. He's furious. He's angry, and he responds in actually a pretty natural way, which is he grabs his, he sees weapons, he grabs his weapon, and he starts fighting, right? I understand his actions. You probably do too. And that's because I think at our core, there's a little bit of Peter in all of us. We are all a little bit Peter when it comes to this scenario. Why? Because we've all been wrongly hurt. Or somehow we've all witnessed someone we care about, someone who's innocent, be wrongly hurt. We get what Peter is getting at here, right? Well, I want to tell you, the Peter inside of you, please listen closely to me. I want to tell you, number one, it's not your fault. The pain that was wrongly inflicted upon you, let's make eye contact, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Also, you need to know that you are right to be angry. The pain that's been caused in your life wrongly, you are right to be angry. Your anger is a good and a natural reaction to being in pain, especially if it's wrongful pain. Uh, Lastly, I think you're right if you believe that justice is merited. Justice is merited. And that's not the situation here with Peter. And Jesus, you know, telling Peter, rebuking Peter and saying, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It's not, he's not saying that justice isn't merited, that this, these soldiers don't deserve some sort of justice. That's not, the, that's not the situation. Here's the fundamental reality of what's going on. Pain is their reality in that moment. Pain is their reality. And Jesus, listen closely, Jesus has a better way of dealing with pain than we do. Jesus has a better way of dealing with the pain in our lives than we do. In other words, the way of Jesus is greater than the way of Peter. The way of Jesus is greater than the way of Peter. Because here, ultimately, I think, is what Jesus knows. And if you take away anything from tonight, I hope you write this down. When we experience pain, this is what Jesus knows, when we experience pain, we can inflict pain or bring healing, but not both. When we experience pain, we have a choice in front of us, a decision. We can either inflict pain or we can choose to bring healing, but not both. Now listen to me, please. There is 100% of time to talk about measures of justice. Absolutely. 
And there's a time to talk about our anger. And if we're going to live healthy, productive, fruitful lives, we need to talk about our anger and deal with our anger and know how to manage our anger when we're in pain. That's true, right? But tonight, man, please, let's just talk about that pain. Because pain is our reality, guys. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to figure out how to follow him through the pain. I've been there. I've been there when everything that you started to build your life on starts to crumble. When people who you trust abandon you. When people who you look up to disappoint you. When people who you should feel safe with abuse you. And I've been, metaphorically speaking, there with the sword in my hand, wanting with all of the fibers in my being to be like Peter or Michael B. Jordan's character in that Amazon movie and just break bad and inflict pain back in order to achieve some sort of relief from my hurt. Schadenfreude, right? I've been there. But Jesus has a better way. The way of Jesus, what he models, is that he, for, he suffers, he forgives, he sacrifices, and he heals. The way of Jesus the way of Peter, schadenfreude. I'm going to inflict pain to minimize my hurt. The way of Jesus, he suffers, he forgives, he sacrifices, he heals. Now, practically, you might say, okay, that's all nice, but he's Jesus. Like, that's a really great ideal, Alec, but that's not me. <laughs> well, here's the thing, guys. The thing about the way of Jesus is that this whole thing we call Christianity is one big invitation of Jesus to join him in living in his way including with how to deal with our pain. Jesus is inviting you, please step into my way of dealing with your pain. It's better than the way of Peter. It's better than the way that you have. And I'll say this, if, you, if this is your first time, your first time in a long time, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, I'm glad you're here, first of all. But I'll just say this, I would, if I were you, I would consider following Jesus simply because Christianity has the resources that you need to navigate, that we all need, to navigate the reality of a painful world while never compromising our ideals. Christianity has the resources we need to navigate the reality of a painful world while never compromising our ideals. There's a lot of worldviews. There's a lot of philosophies. You can go to ancient, the ancient East. You can go to ancient Greece. You can go to modern-day Wall Street. There's coaches. There's philosophers. There's gurus. Everyone will show you how to deal with your pain. But what Christianity wants to give you is not just a way to deal with your pain or make it through the pain, but a blueprint on how to bring healing. So practically, what does that look like? The rest of my time, I just want to go four basic ways, four basic ways that I think we see in chapter 18 and 19 of how Jesus suffers, forgives, sacrifices, and heals. I want to talk about how to be a person of healing in a world of pain. Number one, if we're going to be people of healing in a world of pain, you're going to, you can't suffer alone. Number one, don't suffer alone. Here's the thing about the Christian way, the way of Jesus. Jesus gives us the solidarity we need to endure our pain. In other words, I think many of us are tempted away from the way of Jesus. We're tempted towards the way of Peter because we start to believe that we are somehow alone in all of our pain when that's just not the case. Literally, if you, if you go to the next chapter, chapter 19, verse 1, 
It says, just verse 1 itself, then Pilate took Jesus, Pilate, the Roman leader at the time, Pilate takes Jesus and flogs him. He tortures, Jesus is tortured. So Jesus didn't go just through emotional pain. He wasn't just abandoned by one of his close friends. He experiences a full measure of physical pain. And every time I read that, every time I think through that, I think of um, this song that I love by an artist named John Mark McMillan. It's a weird name of the song. The song is called The Road, The Rocks, and The Weeds. Okay? But here's, here's part of the song that I love. I want to read this to you guys. <laughs> John Mark McMillan, this is, this is some of the lyrics. Come down from your mountain, your high-rise apartment, and tell me of the God you know who bleeds. And what to tell my daughter when she asks so many questions and I fail to fill her heaviness with peace. When I've got no answers for hurt knees or cancers, but a savior who suffers them with me. Singing, goodbye Olympus, the heart of my maker is spread out on the road, the rocks, and the weeds. Jesus suffered. And you're not alone in your, in your suffering, in your pain. Now, that, that was like 2,000 years ago. And many of you are like, okay, well, that's great. That might be 2,000 years ago. I don't know how that comforts me now. Well, here's the thing. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, Isaac taught about the Holy Spirit. And one of the main things about the Holy Spirit, he's a comforter to us in our moments of pain. Even more so than that, look around, guys. The Lord has given you a community of faith, brothers and sisters, who can't make the pain magically go away, but who can be there in the pain with you. So number one, if we're going to be people of healing in a world of pain, don't suffer alone. Don't, don't hurt alone. Number two, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. I think, y'all, we will be tempted towards the way of Peter we'll be tempted away from the way of Jesus if we start to believe that the pain we inflict on others is somehow excusable. And it's not. Jesus, in his way, gives us the forgiveness that we need to admit our very own hypocrisy. And look no further than the Apostle Peter, right? Literally, Peter is grabbing a sword, fighting off, defending Jesus, and not a day later, you just look down at the bottom of your page and Jesus denies, sorry, Peter denies Christ three times. And how does Jesus respond? He forgives him. He forgives him. Jesus, the, the, biggest, the biggest act of hypocrisy, arguably, is Peter trying, coming to the rescue, defending Jesus in the heat of the moment, and then when things cool off, abandoning him, right? But Jesus gives us the forgiveness that we need to admit that hypocrisy and to be aware of our capacity for evil. In my discipleship group that I'm a part of on Thursday nights, one of my friends that's, that's part of that group said something profoundly wise. This person said that this person's biggest fear is becoming the person who inflicted pain on them. Their biggest fear is becoming the very person. What's so deeply wise about that to me is recognizing that we have the capacity for that evil. And in recognizing the capacity that we have for that evil, for that anger, for that pain, inflicting that pain on others, we can stave off and be people of healing. Okay? Number three, if we're going to be people of healing, we need to turn our cheeks. Turn your cheek. 
Guys, Jesus gives us the security necessary to sacrifice our immediate rights. What I mean by that is I think a lot of us, a lot of us like the idea of being people of healing. But in the heat of the moment, when, thing, when you know, push comes to shove, we think that getting that what we deserve is more important than loving our neighbor. And it's not true. And getting what you deserve is important. I want you to have what you deserve in life. I want you to have justice given to you. I want people to take care of you. I do want that. But loving your neighbor is way in the immediate more important for our lives, for our following Jesus, than getting what we deserve. I, I think the most brutal part to me of the crucifixion passage in chapter 19 is verse 2. There's just something about it. It says, verse 2 says, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Some of us in the room might be like, Okay, I'm okay with pain being inflicted upon me if it was an honest mistake. But you're going to respect me. <laughs> you're going to respect me and who I am. And, and what we see here in Jesus is not just that Jesus suffers, not just that he's tortured, but he is mocked. And he has all of the power in the world to break bad on those people. You know, to get retribution in that very moment. And he's willing, for the sake of ultimate healing, to sacrifice his immediate rights to sacrifice his, his ego, if you will. Now, what I'm about to say next, warning, is incredibly lame. But the movie, the movie that I've cried the most in, I, I, someone have a guess, because you're not going to guess it. Rock, what, wait, Rocky? Passion oh, that's too easy. No, passion. <laughs> no, okay, this is, I told you it was going to be lame. The movie I've cried the most in is, to, is The Dark Knight. I know, I know. I, the, like the second movie of the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, That Dark Knight, the one with the Joker. Okay, really? I know, I know, it's lame. It's not cool at all, but here's why. Now, this is going to be so cheesy, so cheesy, but I kid you not, it makes you cry every time I see it. The end of that movie, I was, I was going to say, I'm not going to spoil it, but it's been out for like a decade, so it's your fault if you haven't seen it yet. <laughs> so, uh, the end of that movie, Batman has just, he's, he's about to take the fall for crimes that he did not commit. And soon to be Commissioner Gordon is standing there with Commissioner Gordon. He's standing there with his son. And his son is saying, Daddy, Daddy, why is Batman running? He didn't do anything wrong. And Commissioner Gordon goes into this, like, it's giving me chills right now. He goes, <laughs> he goes into, like, this emotional speech of, like, he goes, it's because he's running because we can chase him. Because he's not a hero. He's a watchful protector right? And it goes on and on and on. The monologue always gets me. It's good writing. But I think really truthfully, what, the reason that's the movie I cried in the most is because there's very few things that look more like Jesus to me than sacrificing our need to be the hero and what we deserve and the immediate justice that should take place for the healing of the community that we're a part of. In his case, it's Gotham, a fictional city. But in our case, in our case, look to your right and to your left, right? If we're going to be people of healing, we need to be able to see the long picture, the lo take the long road, right? Take, take the long view and say, yes, I may deserve better, 
but I'm willing to sacrifice what I deserve immediately for the healing that, can, that the Lord can bring through me. And last but not least, number four, wrap up with this. If we're going to be people of healing in a world of pain, we need to remember the promise, guys. <laughs> we need to remember the promise. You, I promise you, will be tempted to take matters into your own hands, to inflict pain, to walk the way of Peter, if you lose hope that the Spirit of God is working to restore the world around you. Listen, Jesus gives you the promise necessary to pursue healing in your life. And that promise, what I mean by that promise, look no further. Chapter 19, verses 28 and 20, sorry, 28 through 30. Arguably the most important uh, three verses in the scriptures, in the Holy Scriptures. If you have it, look at it with me. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so that they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The promise that we need to remember is that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, set final healing in motion. He doesn't say, it is begun. No, no, no. He said, listen, I've seen the finish line. The work of redemption, it is finished in this moment. I have paid the price. I have purchased the healing. I have purchased the justice. I have purchased the restoration of the world that you seek. And if you will just join me in pursuing that healing in the here and now, you will partake in full at the end. That is the way of Jesus. I have them all four up here for you. The way of Jesus, don't suffer alone. Ask for forgiveness. Recognize your hypocrisy. Turn your cheek. Sacrifice your immediate rights. Remember the promise. And now, some of you might still look at this and go, man, that's really idealistic, Alec. And I know, I'm with you. I've been angry. I am angry. But guys, Jesus' way is better than our own. That's what it means to follow him. To admit that his way is better than our own. And recognizing that he's not just offering us a way to deal with pain, but a way to pursue healing. I'll leave you with one final thought. If you want, and then uh, Lucas is going to lead us, if you feel drawn towards that world of beauty and of healing and of justice and of full restoration. You want so badly to take power into your own hands and achieve anything you can achieve right now to set things right. Listen, I'm with you. I respect that, actually. I get where you're coming from. But keep in mind, write down if you can, these words from a theologian named Esau Macaulay. Dr. Macaulay says this, we want the results of Jesus without the method of Jesus. And the method of Jesus is cruciform. Suffer, forgive, sacrifice, and heal. The way of Jesus is better than our own. Let's pray. Lord, this is not easy. And by no, by no means is your word, your arrest, Jesus, and your crucifixion light fair. But we want to experience your fullness 
And we know that the only way to experience your fullness is to dive headfirst into the reality of our painful world in full pursuit of the healing that you want to bring. Lord, use us, please, as a community to be a people of healing who are willing to sacrifice our immediate rights for a better future world, for your kingdom coming from heaven to Orlando. I pray this in your name, in the name of your son, Amen.